Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. We are here today with Peggy Orenstein, the author of the brand new book, Boys and Sex, Young Men on Hookups, Love, Porn, Consent, and Navigating the New Masculinity, which just came out a week ago and is currently on the New York Times bestseller list. She is also the author of six other books, including Girls and Sex, Cinderella Ate My Daughter, Schoolgirls, Flux, Don't Call Me Princess, and more. Peggy is a journalist who writes about the experience of women today, and this new book is her first foray into writing about boys. In this book, she dives deep into the hookup culture among teenagers and college students today and uncovers some really startling trends and some pretty disturbing facts. So really interested to talk to Peggy about what she has discovered about girls and about boys. Peggy, thank you so much for coming on the show. So I've had a, I've had a week of Peggy Orenstein here. I've been working on this stack of books this week. It's been, it's been a blast diving into your work here and this Book right here that we're going to start with today is currently on the New York Times bestseller list at number seven. It's called Boys and Sex, Young Men on Hookups, Love, Porn, Consent, and Navigating the New Masculinity. So this is your first book on boys, particularly. You've written a lot about femininity, women, and kind of the how, how to be a feminist today. Um, and so this is kind of a little bit of a d- departure for you. So I'm interested where that came from. What inspired the uh, first foray into the male sex here? Well, I got to tell you, it was not on my to-do list. I really did not imagine that I was going to write about boys and men. Um, but after I wrote Girls and Sex, which was my previous book, and I was going around the country, everywhere I went, parents and girls and boys themselves would say, you know, when are you going to write about boys? Sure. And I thought, you know, I think that's somebody else's job. And uh, if, if nothing, you know, I think that I was a little bit afraid that if I tried to interview boys, I would have entire transcripts that consisted of, uh-huh, nope. <laughs> you know, that there would be like nothing there. That was clearly not the case. But, um, but I, you know, I sort of thought about it. And I thought the truth is, is that nobody was talking to boys and nobody was really listening to them to hear what they had to say about sex and intimacy and masculinity in this new era. And then as I was thinking about all of that, Me Too came along. And suddenly, you know, the kind of breadth of misconduct across all sectors of society became clear. And, it, and we have this imperative to reduce sexual violence. But I also thought in a kind of more positive way, that it offered this opportunity to engage boys in something that we never do, which is a conversation about 
how they were thinking about sex and intimacy, relationships, masculinity, because we have to know what's in their heads in order to be able to better guide them. One of the kind of ways that the book starts is a discussion of locker room talk, which is a timely issue today in America. And we recently talked to Mike Adamick on our show, who's the author of Raising Empowered Daughters. And he kind of started this interesting conversation about this urge that dads have to like protect the daughter, you know, the, the classic image of the dad behind the daughter with a shotgun, you know. It strikes me reading this discussion that you have of locker room talking here that this is uh, is part of why I think men are so protective of their daughters because on on some level they know that if their daughter gets labeled a slut that that guys are going to be talking about her in this way and we don't know how to talk about it I guess but they want to like you know protect their daughter somehow so what made you say that locker room talk is such an important issue. And what did you hear about it from the boys that you talked to? Well, um, it was actually something that boys, I mean, they would rather talk to me about premature ejaculation. They would rather talk to me about pornography or just kind of anything but locker room, talking about locker room talk to a woman. That, woman, that was one of the places. I mean, I thought a lot about being a woman doing this work. And I think in a real way, it was an advantage in terms of guys' willingness to drop the wall and talk to a woman in a way that they might not a man about emotions and um, kind of their struggles. But um, but locker room talk, that was an issue. And, you know, so much of that locker room talk is about guys bonding through yeah. like bragging about control of female bodies, right? And And so when they talk about sex, it's not like they're talking about, you know, pleasure or joy or anything in that context it's it's weaponized so it's like they hammer they nail they bang they pound they pipe they hit that they tap that it's like they went to a construction site right it's like right right it's these like violent violent really violent language violent metaphors and it's not like i mean the guys that i was talking to they were not blank slates that the that the culture was inscribing you know they were wrestling with these issues and they didn't necessarily you know, it wasn't that they necessarily approved of that kind of conversation, but they struggled if they were the guy who didn't approve uh, or who didn't think it was right or who knew it wasn't right with what to do with that information. So right. one of the boys that I talked with, Cole, and a friend of his, they were in high school and they went up against a senior guy who um, was saying something, you know, gross about some girl and they got mocked and, you know, targeted. And so the next time something came up, Cole didn't say anything. And what was interesting was that he kept his mouth shut and his friend continued to say stuff. He's continued to step up. And what Cole said to me was, the more he stepped up and the more I stepped down, I saw the other guys losing respect for him, not liking him as much, not listening to him. And he was losing all his social capital. And I had buckets of it. You know, but I wasn't spending it. And he was actually going into the military. And he said that, you know, he said, I, I really don't know what to do because I don't want to have to choose between my dignity and these guys that I'm going to serve with. But how do I make it so I don't have to choose? And I think very much that, you know, as boys become men, part of becoming a man is learning silence and, and learning what you can't say and don't say and won't say as much as what you do. So the, the idea is 
that with the guys that you talk to, there's this very clear picture that gets painted where they kind of the locker room talk is a way of um sort of establishing their dominance hierarchy or pecking order a little bit. And a big important part of that is talking about kind of how many girls that they've had sex with. Uh, on page 83, you're talking to Nate, who's saying the whole goal of going to a party is to hook up with girls and tell your guys about it. Yeah. There's this race for experience. If you get right. behind, then by the time you have the opportunity to hook up with a girl, she'll have hit like five guys already. Yeah. He said it's not even about and, and I think this is really true of that kind of hookup culture. It's not about the interaction between pe two people. It's about the story that yeah. you're going to tell when you leave the room, whether you're a boy or whether you're a girl, that's true. So that's interesting because you do kind of talk about that in this other book a little bit. It does go both ways where there's girls who tell you that they will get high fives from their girlfriends after having to hook up with a guy yeah. or something like that. So it, right. It does. So it's true that, you know, I think, I think that I met definitely met girls who, um, said, I want to talk to you because I want to say that I like hookup culture. And I met guys who hated it and who, you know, who, who really longed for his connection. Yeah. But overall, especially in college, because of the skew of the gender ratio on campuses and other things, that hookup culture tends to advantage boys more than girls because it aligns with those ideas of conquest and status seeking through sex. Um, but that didn't mean that, again, that didn't mean that they liked it. They tended to, you know, at, at best be, be ambivalent, even after they would tell me, yeah, it's kind of an accomplishment. It's kind of a, you know, contest between guys, whatever. They would also inevitably talk about that ambivalence. And while they didn't express the same level of like anger and betrayal that girls could express, it didn't mean that they felt well served by it. And it was really interesting to hear how guys wrestled with that ambivalence around hookup culture. And one guy said to me, um, you know, it's like two people having two very distinct experiences with sex, and there's not a lot of eye contact. Um, there's not a lot of conversation. And then he said, "This." I just thought this was so smart. He said, "It's like you're acting vulnerable, but you're not being vulnerable yeah. with somebody that you don't know very well or care about very much, which is odd." And he said, "Not especially fun." And well, because you talk in this book, uh, this girls and sex book about kind of this friends with benefits idea and how it often leads to attachment developing. And you kind of have this point that it's really hard to be having sex with someone and being really good friends with them and being nice to them and not have it develop into something. So it it's kind of in order to maintain this hookup culture where you're bouncing from one partner to another, you there's almost a necessity to sort of dehumanize the other person or yeah, treat them exactly in a so. not nice way. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so what I uh, would think, a lot, I'm, you know, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a recovering English major. <laughs> um, so I think a lot about words and uh, I was really intrigued by the phrase that in both girls and sex and boys and sex, the kids would use catching feelings yeah. like it's a disease right? Like you catch chlamydia, you catch gonorrhea, you catch feelings. And so I just started, I just, just the last couple of days been thinking about this. So to avoid catching chlamydia and gonorrhea, you wear a condom, right? <laughs> to avoid catching feelings, you have to put on your emotional condom. Yeah. And the thing that puts on that emotional condom is alcohol. So alcohol is not just, you know, doesn't just lubricate that scene. Lisa Wade wrote this great book, American Hookup, where she talks about all this. And she said, it's the hookup scene is dependent on alcohol to create, she calls it the compulsory carelessness necessary for a hookup. So it's what establishes the meaninglessness um, of, a, of, a, of a hookup. If you hook up sober, that would be meaningful. 
And right. so the trick becomes being drunk enough and finding someone who's drunk enough who can say, to be able to say yes, but not so drunk that they can't say yes. And, you know, that is a very tricky line to walk. It can be. So there's a point in this book where you receive a text message. Uh, you got a text from Nate, who's the yeah. kid we were talking to earlier, and he's in school in Southern California, and he's kind of texting you. He says, WTF is up with the hookup culture, he wrote. It's like an orgy here. Is that the way to live? Should I be investing in that or forming meaningful connections with women? And so then you are actually with someone else at that point, Wyatt. So you guys kind of talk about what would be the best way to respond, and you end up saying don't let yourself be a part of that the hookup scene oh, has I don't a loud say voice that Wyatt says that okay yeah yeah, yeah. Says that. yeah and then it says you kind of you said you don't tell us exactly what you say to him but it was some sort of a kind of summary or something of what Wyatt says and then he says thank you really thank you exactly what I needed to hear this is where my heart is and I thought this exchange was really interesting for a couple reasons the one that he felt comfortable enough to like send you this text message um and and that, you know, makes me wonder, well, how as a parent or an an adult that's in, you know, so, uh, uh, trying to act as a mentor figure, how can you be that approachable? And then to um, kind of what what you said or how you figured out kind of what to say that was what he needed to hear. Yeah. Well, you forgot the part where he sent me a heart emoji. Um, <laughs> oh, that's that right here. Is... And then he added a heart emoji. Yeah. Um, that actually is one of my favorite scenes in the whole book. I'm so glad that you pulled that scene out um, because what was wonderful about that was, yeah, I was, I was Skyping with one boy who had, you know, been heavily into hookup culture and then had sort of come through to the other side of that. And Nate texts in and he says what you said. And what I did was I asked Wyatt, the boy I was Skyping with and do and interviewing, what do you think I should say to him? And I read him the text and they had this conversation through me. I was not talking that I was texting, you know, what Wyatt was saying to him. And then he was saying, and we were going back and forth. And it was this incredible thing because yeah, it gave Nate what he needed. And I am still in touch with Nate. Um, I just was texting with him the other day. And I know that that conversation continued to affect him. And he really did go into college. He was a boy who really wanted to have connection and meaning in his personal relationships. And he stuck with that. Um, and I thought, you know, these guys are total strangers to one another. They don't know each other's names. They'll never meet. And I'm a total stranger, really. You know, they just know me because I'm writing a book. Um, and the serendipity of them being able to have this conversation is so rare. And yet it was so meaningful. And what, what could we do? What would it mean if we could create a situation where boys could have these conversations with them amongst themselves or trusted adults? And that's really at the heart, I think, of both Boys and Sex and Girls and Sex was that I wanted a book, books that you know, that yes, parents could use to understand where teenagers are right now and all these issues, but also that guys or girls themselves could read. Get them talking to hopefully about open it. up more meaningful dialogue. A hundred percent. That I have to say, that's what struck me with both of these books uh, is if you have a, a teenage boy in your life, get him a copy of this book, Boys and Sex. If you have a teenage girl in your life, get her a copy of this book, Girls and Sex. Uh, it, it's important for parents or to read, but... Yeah, I, I, I mean, both. I read them both and I'm a guy and I was fascinated by everything in both of them. So I, I, I and it's so relevant, especially for in the in the late teenage years, mid teenage years, when you're really starting to struggle with kind of 
what what your sexuality is and right. uh, how you want to establish that. And it's really hard in today's culture. And there's a lot of conflicting messages that both boys and girls are getting. And so making those explicit and kind of understanding why it's so hard is, I think, kind of some of the genius of Peggy Orenstein. One more thing that I wanted to talk about from this book, Boys and Sex, is at the end, you say, consider the sleepover. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this, in the United States, this is not a typical parent of teenager policy, I wouldn't wouldn't think. So why is it that you think the sleepover should be considered by parents of teenagers? And I will say, I'm the parent of a teenager, so I think about this stuff a lot. and, And when I first started considering that notion, I was like, just like any other American parent, not in my house. <laughs> Hell oh, no. no. Yeah. You know? Right. And I have a really small house. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it, that really comes from research on the Dutch. And sure. what we know, um, there's, there's comparative research between, and this was more done on girls, but, um, but, it, but it was applicable to boys too, that they found, they did demo, um, research that compared demographically similar girls at two different colleges in Holland and America um, and their early sexual experiences. And they found that um, the Dutch girls had like everything we say we want. You know, they had fewer negative consequences like pregnancy and disease, less likely to be drunk, more likely to say they enjoyed their experience. They could talk to their partner. They knew their partner very well, um, everything. And when they talked further to the girls, what they found was that they said that their parents, teachers and doctors had talked to them from an early age about sex, love and, and pleasure. And as part of that with the Dutch, they have this word that I can't say, I can't pronounce it, but it basically is something like, and I apologize to anybody listening who speaks Dutch, it's kind of like gezelligheid, something like that. And it means cozy togetherness. And it's this idea that like in America, we raise our teenagers basically to lie to us in order to become adults, right? That they, they we, we have them sever and we all know what they're doing, but we pretend that we don't. And they're off doing it somewhere else in places that might be dangerous, that, you know, with dynamics that can't be controlled. And we just kind of let that go. And in Holland, everything, all these issues about substances, about sex, you know, everything is discussed within the family. And the parents use that as a way to exert what they call a soft power on the kids. And so having a sleepover, and this is from Amy Shalit's research, who's a professor at University of Massachusetts and wrote this book, Not Under My Roof, Comparing American and Dutch Teenagers. The sleepover allows them to, you know, further further reinforce their values around contraception, around disease protection, around consent, around positive sexuality, and allow that when when there's a relationship that they judge is the right kind of relationship to have the talk about what that means. And in negotiating that, it's not that it's not awkward, but they can guide their kids towards having the kinds of relationships when appropriate that we want them to have as opposed to American parents who kind of let it go and then your kid goes off and gets drunk at a party and you know hooks up with a random and punches their v-card I mean that it's a little bit crazy and and part of our culture is to you know allow kids to stew in this highly sexualized media world with with really toxic messages about male sexual entitlement and female sexual availability right and which we, we get to in this book yeah. Cinderella ate my Cinderella daughter, ate my daughter. Yeah, and, and, and then we say nothing to them about what a mutually gratifying, reciprocal, personally fulfilling relationship can and should look like. So a lot of this is not just about, you know, 
scolding boys or the don'ts of all of it, but it's also really contemplating what we want for our kids and how we can get there in a positive way. Something you write in Girls and Sex that just hit me really hard is that you say you interviewed over 70 girls to write this book and only two of them told you they'd had a, an in-depth conversation with their father about sex. Um, oh, yeah. They would just laugh when I asked that. Seems crazy to me. Um, but it, it makes me think that this idea of the sleepover if nothing else, at least if your kid is like bringing their like boyfriend or girlfriend into your house, then it's going to, it's going to trigger a conversation or maybe you're going to then, you know, if it's happening in your house, then at least it's going to like make you want to, we got to talk about this. And like, certainly um, it requires a really profound shift. And, and the other piece that is different, I think, in in Holland in the United States is that in thinking about that, what those girls said about that their parents and teachers and doctors talk to them about sex, love and pleasure. We Americans tend to frame our conversations about sex with our kids exclusively in terms of risk and danger. And what that does is shift the idea to talking about responsibility and joy. And as a parent myself of a teenager, that was a really, that hit me in the gut because I thought, I would have talked to my child about contraception. I would have talked to her about disease STDs, you really don't want to get those. Yeah, And consent, because I'm modern. But I would have thought that's enough. I've told you about all the risks, you know, and and that's good enough. And that really made me realize, delving into that research, that it's not good enough at all. And we owe them better. We can give them better. And also, I don't know, I kind of liken it to, I don't mean to keep going on, but I, I kind of liken it to table manners. You know, like if you wanted to teach your child table manners you would not sit them down and say okay you use a knife and fork um don't burp at the table uh say please and thank you all right we're done you know right you have to have a whole lot of discussion in a whole lot of contexts a whole lot of times you have to tell your child to say thank you at least 537,682 times to get them to do it themselves you know and we think that somehow Table talking about table manners is more important than talking about their interpersonal relationships. And that's, you know, that's kind of crazy. We are here with Peggy Orenstein talking about her new book, Boys and Sex, as well as some of her older books. And we're not done yet. Here's a quick look at what's coming up on the second half of the show. I got to that point and I was kind of watching these girls you know, learning that what they're as that as women, you were supposed to act sexually, but not understand your body. It's the socialization together that creates these dynamics that we need to look at to make healthier life for our kids. You know, if you can just find a way to show up for that, especially dads, you know, you weren't parented that way. Your father didn't talk to you probably in that way. So it's a big leap as a father, as a man, adult man, to have connected conversations about, you know, even like what what qualities would you want to look for in a partner? You know, what does that mean? Just, just to have those conversations, that can feel like a big leap, but I, I always want to say that you don't have to be perfect in order to do it. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know all the questions. You don't have to have the perfect relationship yourself. You can have made mistakes. It's okay. 
you still have some perspective to offer your child and to help them as they you know mature and are trying to figure out what it means to have a gratifying relationship in a world that devalues connection you know you you have stuff to say about that and it seems like just even the act of sitting down and having the conversation with your son or daughter your son or daughter is going to in their life have to have some really difficult, difficult conversations, conversations about sex yep Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.